relax and um, be inspired. Thank you, Rosemary. Over to you. Oh, thanks for having me. Can you hear me okay? Good, you can all hear. Good, wonderful. Well, thanks so much to Alan and Sue for inviting me in. It's really lovely to be here. And um, splendid breakfast, the best breakfast I've ever had a, a breakfast meeting. Wonderful. And um, I gather that you come from different churches and different backgrounds. I'll start off by sharing a little bit about myself. And then um, I'm going to share a bit of my journey with Israel. And, um, and then a little bit about my book and my writing so uh, you've got um, a few things packed in which is why I was keen to start on time because I didn't want to take us over 11 o'clock in case some of you guys have got to get off Um, so I was born in June 1967 so I've just passed my 50th birthday I say that because it's um, a significant time in the history of Israel the 50th anniversary of um, the reunification of Jerusalem, and so um, sort of comparing my age with the nation of Israel, you think, oh gosh, it's all quite recent. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. I read Scripture Union Bible reading notes right from when I was little. Um, I don't know if you remember those like stepping stones and quest and keynotes if any of you read those, I was part of this key club as um, a kid and just loved reading the Bible. And we lived out in the countryside and didn't have any neighbours and we didn't have a TV. And so one of my favourite things to do as a kid was just to sit in my room and read my Bible. And so it was from reading the Bible as a young child and as a teenager that I began to get a bit of revelation about the Jews and the nation of Israel. And um, I remember sitting out one sunny day in the garden and just thinking, gosh, the Jews, the Lord still has this nation of the Jews and they're his special people and just processing this information. And then we had um, a Jewish girl come into my year group at school and um, I, was, I never really got to know her very well, but she was the first contact that I had with a Jewish person, was Deborah, so there weren't any synagogues anything around. And, um, and then when I was about 19, my auntie gave me a book by Michelle Guinness called Child of the Covenant. Um, have any of you read that book? <laughs> yeah, and um, in it she tells her story of how she grew up as a Jew, a Jewess, and then she discovered faith in Jesus as a a teenager at school from her school friends. And she became a born-again Christian. And then she had to sort of process what it meant to be a Jew and to believe in Jesus because there weren't very many Jews who believed in Jesus, especially at that time. There are many more now. And... Um, so, so really, um, she pioneered something, I think, in this country to do with understanding the feasts of Israel, the feasts of the Bible. And, um, and uh, 
how they relate to us as Christians. And that is kind of what I'm going to come to in the topic of my book, In Time with God. Um, I didn't, well, I didn't really sort of think much more about Israel and the Jews in my 20s. I went out to Peru with a missionary organisation worked out there for a couple of years, and then I came back to London. And then when I came, came to London, I went to a big charismatic church. And they didn't have any emphasis on Israel and the Jews or the end times, things like that. Um, their main focus was evangelism. And that was why I loved the church, because I loved evangelism. I wanted people to hear the gospel And um, they had this kind of mission statement. They really believed that um, the world could be evangelized by the year 2000 and then Jesus would come. And so they would say, um, you know, get out into all the world. Matthew, um, uh, at the end of the gospel, the Great Commission. And then the Lord can return. And I always felt, I think there's something missing in this. Um, It's true, the gospel has got to go out, but there's a lot more that the Bible says about the return of the Lord. And it was about the year 2000. I went to a prayer meeting up in London, which was to do with Israel by a man called Lance Lambert. Uh, Yes, some of you have heard of him. And afterwards, the lady from my home group said to me, Oh, Rosemary, you, um, you know, don't you, that our church believes in replacement theology? And I said, no, what's replacement theology? And she said, well, it's when um, people believe that the church has replaced Israel and God no longer has a plan for Israel and the Jews, but the church is now taking the place of Israel. So where in the Bible it talks about Israel, now it's talking about the church. And instinctively, suddenly, it explained to me what had gone wrong in those years in London. Because I'd lost that childlike reading of the Bible where I just read it and I understood, you know, you just took it on face value and you believed it. And somehow everything had got all a bit fuzzy and grey. And um, my relationship with God had even suffered through it. And it was like a light being switched on. And she explained, you know, that this is a big problem in Britain, uh, replacement theology, because it sort of blinds our eyes to what the Bible really says about the times that we're living in and about his purpose and his kingdom and his plan. Because, yes, the gospel is going to go into all the world and the end will come. That's that's totally right. That's what the Bible says. But there's more than that. It's not just that. That is a big part of it. But the Lord has a kingdom plan And what he started, he's going to complete. He didn't suddenly go down this route 
And then, they, oh, oh dear, that doesn't work. Turn around, let's go this way. Israel didn't work. We'll try something new now. No, what God began with Israel, he is going to complete. And he is completing. And so, um, I'd like to... I know you haven't got your Bibles in front of you unless you've got a phone or something. But um, just have a little bit of a look at the book of Romans, chapters 9 to 11. Because this is, um, was really key in my understanding um, in the early stages, was to go to Romans 9 and then through to Romans 11. Okay, so up till Romans chapter 9, you've got um, Paul explaining about our salvation through faith. That it is not by works of the law that we become righteous, but we are made righteous through the blood of Jesus. And that by the blood of Jesus alone, we can be saved. It is by faith in him as the sacrifice to take away our sins that we are saved. And I think a bit of the problem that has been happening, particularly in our nation, you see, our nation isn't the same as this other nations. This teaching isn't in the whole world. You know, you go to um, the Far East or Indonesia or um, Africa, and they don't believe quite the same as we do in many of the churches here. But um, Romans 9 to 11, part of the problem is that people stop at the end of Romans 9 and they don't read all the way through to the end of Romans 11. And it's like a section that you need to read the whole of the argument because when Paul is speaking, he's like taking an, um, a long train of thought And he takes you from this place to this place. And very often, the church sermon just takes a little portion from here or a little portion from here. And you don't get the full understanding of what God is saying and what Paul is arguing. Okay, so... um, By Romans... um, Let's go back to... yeah. Romans chapter 9, Paul explains that he is a Jew and he's glad to be a Jew and he says that the Israelites pertain to the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came. So he's saying Jesus was a Jew and these are the people that all these wonderful things, the glory of the covenants came through. And then um, he, he explains how Israel, the Jews, stumbled through unbelief. The Jews had been under this covenant of Moses, which was all these commandments that they must do. And then Jesus came to fulfill the commandments. He came to fulfill the law of Moses so that our righteousness is not through keeping commandments and through works, but our righteousness is through faith in him. 
But the problem was that Israel had received all these covenants. They'd received the covenant of with Noah, well, the, and the, the covenant with David, the covenant with Moses, the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where God had said, I'm promising you the land and this and a Messiah. But when Jesus came, they didn't, as a nation, recognize him. And Romans 9 explains that they stumbled in unbelief. They they couldn't quite grasp that this man among them was their weighted Messiah. Because they thought, you know, he was just a man. They were expecting something grander. And they stumbled with unbelief. And then Paul explains that it's like two olive trees. Now, this is the really key bit to grasp. I don't know, have you seen an olive tree? You know what an olive tree looks like? They're they're small trees in hot countries, and they have these lovely, twisty, gnarly, interesting shapes and little green leaves. And they have enormous longevity. It's very hard to kill an olive tree. And he took the picture of an olive tree to describe why Israel still matters. Okay, why it matters to us as Christians. It's not just a boring topic. It's not just for those weird people who love Israel. It matters to all of us. And so he explained in Romans 11, where he comes through in this argument talking about the olive tree. He says there are two olive trees. One olive tree is Israel, the nation of Israel. And the olive, other olive tree is all the other nations. Okay, So most of us in this room, unless you're of Jewish descent, belong to the started off belonging to this olive tree, which was all the other nations. In the Bible, it calls us Gentiles. But this Jewish tree, Jewish olive tree, is the people that God, by his sovereignty, chose to start his kingdom redemption plan of this earth through. He chose this people group. He called Abraham, he called Isaac, he called Jacob, and he called out this people. And he called them to prepare the way for his redemption. And he called them as a nation and as a representation of the kingdom of God. And he called Israel and he gave them his covenants. And so it's like you think of a tree... It's got roots, it's got trunk, then it's got branches. Okay? And then there's this other tree, which is all the rest of the nations, which is all of most of us, that need to be saved from our sins, the kingdom of God. Um, We need God's kingdom. And that is um, the unbelieving nations who hadn't got these covenants. And then Paul talks about, let's go to, well, let's go to, let's just read a little bit. 
Um, if, for if the first fruit is holy, the lump is holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Okay, so you've got this olive tree, which represents the kingdom of God, and God wants all these other people to be brought in. And so what they do with olive trees, it's like an apple tree. They cut off a branch and then they take another branch and they graft it in. They put a bit of ointment, they wrap it around with paper and then it sprouts this new branch. And that's called grafting, horticulturally. Okay, grafting. So what Paul is saying is, when the Jews didn't believe in Jesus when he came, it was like they were cut off from their tree because now you need to believe in Jesus. And they stumbled through unbelief. But the branch was cut off. And then branches were taken from this Gentile olive tree, which is us, you or me, And he grafts us on to the olive tree of Israel. Do you see what I'm saying? That we are grafted in to Israel, which is then when you begin, you know, the kingdom of God. I'm not sure if you're following me because I can see some puzzled faces. So maybe I just need to go over this a little bit more, okay? So if a branch is a person on the tree... Um, someone who didn't believe in the, who was a Jew, suddenly, you know, they, they haven't got faith. They stumbled and it's like they've been cut off. But if a Gentile believes in the gospel, then they get grafted in. It's like suddenly they are stuck onto Israel And they've got a new trunk, they've got new roots, and suddenly as a person, you're drawing your life up from different roots. Do you see what I'm saying? You're beginning to get it. So you've, that's what's happened to us when we believe in Jesus. We stop being just a Gentile from the unbelieving nations, suddenly We've got a Bible, we've got covenants, we've got faith in Abraham, we're made children of Abraham, and we're not over here anymore, we're stuck onto this new olive tree, and you can begin to thrive and grow because you're taking your root water from the roots of faith, and you're drinking from the sap of the new olive tree, okay, which is the olive tree of Israel. This is why Israel matters. Because when you read your Bible, you've got to have a new mindset. You've got to remember that you're not part of that old olive tree anymore. You're part of the new olive tree. And then Paul says, do not boast. Because, okay, 
a lot of them didn't believe. But it said the day is coming when they're going to be grafted back into their own olive tree. That means that Jews are going to come to believe in Jesus. Okay, so a Jew who, it's like Michelle Guinness, brought up an Orthodox Jew, suddenly starts to believe in Jesus. Suddenly, everything clicks into place. They're back on their own olive tree. It's like, oh my goodness, that's our Bible. That's our people. Those are our covenants. That's our land. It all makes sense. And they grafted back in. It says, um, you know, if they're being cast away, is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? You see, so when the Jews get put back onto their olive tree, it's like life from the dead. It's like this dead branch suddenly being stuck back on. And it was just there without any... That's like, you know, Jews who don't believe in Jesus and perhaps they're atheists, someone like Karl Marx or someone, you know, a dead branch on the ground. But then if a Jew gets like Michelle Guinness, comes to faith in Jesus, they're back on their own roots, okay? The roots of their own olive tree. Now, are you with me? Does that make sense? Any questions? (laughs) Okay, we got that far. Good. Now, when you understand this, you can see that God has a plan for the Jews and for Israel, okay? It's not just that all the Gentiles are going to be evangelized and then Jesus will come. The Lord's got these two olive trees and he's still concerned about that Jewish olive tree. He's not forgotten about it. And... What um, the when you read the Old Testament prophets, not from a replacement theology view, but from understanding Israel view, a literal view, because replacement theology loves to make allegories. So, like replacement theology would say, it, um, "Let's take a verse, okay? Let's go to Ezekiel, um, Ezekiel thirty-six." It says, for I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. This is verse 24, 25. Then I will sprinkle water on you and you shall be clean. Okay. So if you have no revelation about the importance of Israel and the Jews and you believe replacement theology... Okay, and you read this. It says, For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. So you think, okay, what does that mean? Hmm. Okay, well, maybe it's some, for me personally, maybe I'm not living in the right land. Or, oh, perhaps it's about the Christian church. Perhaps if. Um, it's all the Christians in all the world and we're all going to come into the kingdom of God, okay? So it's trying to think out what it might mean. It's a little bit of a twisty thinking. But if you take it literally, what it's saying, literally, I will take you from among the nations. That's all the Jews scattered all over the world. 
That's his people Israel, scattered all over the world. And then it says, I will bring you into your own land. Okay? So he is talking about what is happening now, that the Jews are scattered all over the world, and God is bringing them back into their own land. You see what I'm saying? So this makes us see it in a different light. And it's quite hard because, you know, if you've been to theological college or you've listened to a lot of sermons, it can be really shocking because you think, well, I've never, never seen it like that before. But actually, when you start checking out the Bible and what it says and start reading the prophecies, um, I think you'll find it really, really rich and very exciting. So, um, for example, Jeremiah, he spoke about a new covenant. The prophet Jeremiah said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. So we, as believers in Jesus, believe in the new covenant, which is Jesus. And it's saying, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Okay, so read it literally. With Israel. And with the house of Judah. Judah is um, where the name Jews comes from. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wow, that means when you look at Israel now and you think, oh, most of them are like dead branches on the ground. They don't believe in Jesus. But if you read the prophecy of Jeremiah, it says that that Jesus belongs to them. And the day is coming when he's going to write the law of Christ, the law of the spirit, like he's given to us, that we're not under the law of Moses, we're under the law of Christ. He's going to put that law into the hearts of the Jews. Wow. Okay, what's happening to the Jews? Is this happening? Well, Ezekiel says, let's go, going back to Ezekiel 36, it says, I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land, then... I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. And I will put my spirit within you. So he's talking about when you come back to the land, I'm going to start sprinkling clean water on you. And you're going to start believing in Jesus. You're going to start receiving your new covenant. And this is what is happening now. So when I was born 50 years ago, there was probably one congregation, Messianic congregation in the land of Israel. Now there's exponential growth. There's congregations all over the land. This tiny little land in the Middle East 
that the world, well, but the devil hates with fierce hatred that slanders get slandered and accused all over the world by the media, the press, and is persecuted and hated. This tiny little nation, they're only like 8 million, and that includes not just the Jews, that's the Arabs that live there and the Christians. Okay, so it's not big. Size of London, less than London. <laughs> in this, this one little nation. But why is it so big in the, you know, and there's this, the devil has just been permeating the, with the church, churches, with the lies. And saying, you know, oh, you know, these um, oppressors and these, they, that land doesn't belong to them. But you need to look at the covenants and see it from God's perspective. And read the Bible and make your opinions from the Bible and not from the news and not from political people and not from some, some person who means well, perhaps even in the church, but from the Bible. Go back to the Bible. And so, just going to share a little bit about what has happened between Jesus dying on the cross and where we are now. Because the Jews were, what happened in 70 AD after Jesus died, Jesus said the temple's going to be destroyed, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. And it was. In 70 AD, the Jews were spread all over the world. They were carried off by the Romans to be slaves. And apart from a tiny remnant that remained in the land, it was left desolate, went into all the world, just as the Bible said. Um, Christians, well, the the early Christians would mostly have been Jewish believers. Paul preached in the synagogues. And then Gentiles more and more came in. And then there was huge persecution of the Christians under the Roman Empire. And something interesting happened in 63 AD. Um... There was a, a, a Babylonian religion, a pagan religion, and it had a kind of priesthood. And in 63 AD, this priesthood from Babylon, where the Tower of Babel was, moved to Rome. Okay. And in 378 AD, the Bishop Damasus of the Roman Church took on a new title. He became the pontiff of the supreme order of the Babylonian, supreme office of the Babylonian order. Okay, so what happened in 378 was that the church in Rome, instead of being joined to its Jewish roots, it joined itself to Babylonian religion, pagan religion. Um, you can look into the history because I've got this. I haven't got enough time to explain it all, but you can look into it a bit yourself. And I've got a bit in my books. But what happened was, okay, the Babylonian religion. It had these great big basilicas. The priests wore robes. They had a sort of daily sacrifice where they took bread and offered it up to the sun. 
And they met in these great big buildings with jeweled robes. And, they, and the church that had previously been all these little Christians persecuted and meeting in houses, suddenly it became an institutional, institutionalized religion with great big buildings and big people and lots of wealth. And it was um, joined to a Gentile olive tree, not a Jewish olive tree. And in 325 AD, the Council of Nicaea, the bishops met together and they decided that they would change the date of the celebration of the death of Jesus and of his resurrection, which had always been on the Jewish Passover, because Jesus died at Passover, the Jewish feast, and he rose again three days later on the Feast of First Roots. The feasts are in Leviticus 23. Okay? So they took the feast away from its Jewish date... And they put it onto the Sunday after the spring equinox or whichever. Actually, I've forgotten the detail there. Check that out because I might have got that wrong. But it's now a movable feast. And they said they didn't want the date of Easter to be connected in any way with the Jews. Of course, the Jewish feast is Passover. So what they were doing was they were cutting off from the Jewish olive tree, and they were saying, we're going to do it our way, the Gentile way. And we're even going to have different dates for our feasts. And so they, um, over time, I'm not an expert in it, but, you know, Christmas comes on the feast of, Roman feast of Mithra, the rebirth of the sun, you know. Um, I'm not s- sort of, uh, have you a go at people who keep Christmas, or anything like that. I'm, I'm, I'm not got an agenda there at all. But um, I'm just pointing out that this is what happened. But the Celtic church in Britain, the early church in Britain had really been evangelized right from those early Christians in the Holy Land, in Israel. And they had the Jewish feasts. So in this land, the Celtic church kept the Jewish Sabbath. They kept the Jewish Passover And they kept these feasts right up until 768 AD when the church in Rome forced the last Welsh cults to adopt the Roman times. And it is believed by some that um, the final cutting off of the Jewish feasts, the Bible feasts, the times and seasons that are in the Bible, happened in 1115 AD, when the first Roman bishop was placed in St. David's in Wales. So for a long time, the British church was remembering that it was this Jewish olive tree and it was drinking from its Jewish roots. But then, over time, it got more and more cut off. And so that the, the, um, the feasts began, you know, they had, well, they even invented new feasts, like the Feast of the Assumption, you know. It's like, where's that in the Bible? (laughs) So 
it is important for us in these days, I believe, that we as Christians reading the word of God consciously drink our sap, which is our understanding, our knowledge, our interpretation of the scriptures, our sanctification, our walk with the Lord comes from the root of the Jewish olive tree and not from the Roman olive tree. And I'm not banging Roman Catholics or anything. I'm talking about generally. We need to know where our roots are because going back to Romans again, it says, Romans 11, okay, reading that verse again. If some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. So don't say to a Jew, hey, we've got it all, you Christ killers. That's what the church did for so many years. They did exactly what Paul told them not to do. They said, you dirty Jews, you killed Christ. And they hated them, they persecuted them, and they tried to baptize them um, by force. And they invented myths. There was the Norwich blood libel, where the uh, Christians uh, said that the Jews had sacrificed this dead child for their Passover. It, but it, of course, it's totally not true. But these are libels, okay? They're, they're, um, uh, and you see the culmination of it with Hitler. Those Christians, those, some of those SS um, men and women and the people who took those Jews to the gas chambers went to church on Sunday And called themselves Christians. And eight million, sorry, yes, eight million, no, I've got that wrong, it's six million. Six million Jews perished in the Holocaust. And a lot of it was under the name of Christian anti-Semitism. And it was precisely what Paul said Sorry, this is really, I'm giving you loads of stuff here. It's very intense. But if you can keep with me, okay, this is the extreme of what happens when you're drinking from the wrong roots and you're not drinking from the Jewish olive tree, but you're drinking from the pagan and the Roman and you forget who you are, you forget that we're meant to love and respect and honour the Jews as God's people, his chosen people. And the extreme was seen in those death camps. And I would even venture to say that these days, the new form of anti-Semitism is hatred of Israel. Because there was, it was lies that put those Jews in the gas chambers. And it is lies that is making people 
Hey Israel today because Israel is the fulfillment of the prophecy it's got the land that God promised in the covenants to Abraham Isaac and Jacob he said this is your land forever it says it's an everlasting covenant okay an everlasting covenant let's go to that I think it's Psalm 105 if I remember correctly um Yes, here we are. He remembers his covenant forever. The word which he commanded for a thousand generations. The command which he made with Abraham, his oath to Isaac, and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute. To Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. Okay, so it's the land. Okay, so if what I've just said is really hard for you to grasp, please forgive me. And please just keep listening to what I'm saying because it's probably a lot of new stuff and I don't want to offend and I don't want to, um, you know, cause difficulty. But I'm just saying my understanding of the Bible. And when I got this uh, revelation, it sent me on to a a whole new journey. And... um, In 2003, I ended up taking a sabbatical from my job. I was a teacher. And I ended up, um, I'd already been learning Hebrew, going out to Israel as a volunteer. And I worked at a guest house for a few months. And um, then the Lord spoke to me and said that I needed to resign my job in the UK. So I, in faith, resigned my job. And then suddenly... um, I was offered to apply for a job out in Israel at the Garden Tomb. And so, um, so I was interviewed and got this job. And that opened the door for me to live in Jerusalem, have my own little flat. And um, in the end, I spent... I, I wasn't out there all the time. I did come back to the UK, but it was mostly over a period of seven years. And during that time going to congregations where there were Jew and Gentile, all drinking from the Jewish root. It was so rich, you know, because you're reading the Bible, you're living in the place, and you're keeping the feasts. And the feasts, well, um, the first feast, you know what the first feast is? It's the Sabbath. Of course, some... Um, in Jerusalem, the feast, if you want to look at them, it's Leviticus 23. The first feast, Sabbath, in Jerusalem. How many of you have been to Jerusalem? Oh, quite a few of you, yeah. You know, um, the, uh, there's this loud siren goes off at the beginning of the Sabbath. Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday night, and it ends at sundown, you know, the sunset on Saturday night. A siren goes off across the whole city, really loud. And then suddenly, there's no cars, apart from a few taxis, or one or two cars, not very many. Uh, No buses, no trains, no trams. And you just see people sort of walking in their best clothes um, to go and have a meal, carrying their bunch of flowers, or carrying their pot of food. Um, 
and going to have their Sabbath meal and also going down to pray at the Western Wall, you know, in Jerusalem where there's the the wall where the Jews go and pray, which is the closest place to where the, the temple was before it was destroyed. So the Sabbath um, is kept. Um, so the whole society... It's not kept down in Tel Aviv where there's lots of partying. That's a different story. But the religious and the some of you know a good portion of the secular keep the Sabbath, and all the shops close. And then um, they keep Passover. Uh, and I understand you've had Passover in this church, haven't you? You've had Passover meal. And so you have the seven days of Passover in the spring. And when you go to a congregation that's messianic, messianic just means Jews that believe in Jesus. When you go to um, a sort of Christian Jewish church, messianic church, you have your Passover meals. Of course, it's so rich because you're, again, you're drinking from the sap of the Jewish root. And you're understanding, oh, wow, Passover foretold Jesus. And then you have eat unleavened bread for a whole week. And the supermarket has um, all the things that have leaven or raising agents are all covered over with sheets of plastic. And you can't buy, you can't buy pasta, you can't buy pastry, you can't buy biscuits, you can't buy cakes, you can't buy bread, because it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So there's no leavening. And so um, you all eat matzos, matzo crackings, <laughs> crackers. So that's Passover. And it's the two coming together your belief in Jesus, and also the, um, the biblical feast. And then you've got the feast of um, first fruits, which is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And then 50 days later, you've got Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is 50 days after the day that Jesus rose from the dead, which on the biblical calendar is the 16th day of the month of Sivan, because the Jewish months are not... January, February, March, April, May, June. Because that is where the sun, the earth goes around the sun, isn't it? You know, so you've got one orbit of the sun in one year. That's the Gregorian solar calendar. But the calendar of the Bible is a lunar calendar. And it's every month is one orbit of the moon around the earth. And... Um, Psalm 104 reminds us, he appointed the moon for seasons. The sun is going down. So the moon was given in the sky to show us when the feasts are. Um, In fact, in the creation account, Genesis chapter 1, it talks talks about this. Okay. Genesis 1, verse 14. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons, for days and years. And that, that day, that um, word for the, um, for the signs there in Hebrew is moed. And the Moedim in the Bible are the seven feasts of the Bible. Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of Firstfruits, 
the Feast of Weeks, which we call Pentecost, then um, Yom, Kippur, uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, then, um, sorry, before that, you've got um, Yom HaTruah, which is the Feast of Blowing Trumpets, then you've got the Day of Atonement, and then the final, the seventh feast, is the seven-day feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, with an eighth day of assembly. So these seven feasts of the Bible are appointed days of the Lord, appointed times. Are you still with me? I'm going very fast and covering a lot of ground. It's all right, I've got my eye on the clock. <laughs> um, these feasts are prophetic picture of God's redemption of Israel and his time scale. Okay, so you've got three feasts in the spring. You've got Passover, when Jesus died, unleavened bread, when he was placed in the tomb. And you've got the Feast of First Fruits, when Jesus became the first fruits is bringing the first of the harvest and thanking God for it. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was the first fruits of the resurrection. Read 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection. And he was the first fruits from the dead. And then you've got a long 50 days and you've got the birth of the church when the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost. The Feast of Weeks is the exact day that the disciples in the upper room received the Holy Spirit. And then in the autumn, you've got the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast, of, you've got Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, so which of those have been fulfilled? The ones that have been fulfilled, Jesus, he died, he rose again, the church was born. Then you've got long summer months without any feasts. Then you've got autumn feasts. So if Jesus fulfilled the meaning of those spring feasts, he is likewise, surely, fulfilling and going to fulfill the meaning of those autumn feasts. So can you see why the devil would not want us to understand our Jewish root? Because the devil doesn't want us to know the days that we're living in. And the devil doesn't want us to know that he's got a plan for this world, that Jesus is going to come back, that he's going to come back as the king of Israel, Zechariah 12, read Zechariah. Zechariah 12, it talks about today. It talks about Israel today. It's just a, a description of what's going on. And then you get to Zechariah 14, and it talks about when Jesus has returned. And it says that the, um, all the nations will go up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. So Jesus is going to be here. He's going to be in Jerusalem and the nations are going to go up there for the Feast of Tabernacles. It's amazing. It's, it's so rich. And it says, it's like, you see, the whole understanding of the return of Jesus and what is going to happen, I think, has become very fuzzy in our heads. And we sort of think, well, one day he's going to return. The earth has existed for millions of years. It's probably going to exist for another millions of years. You forget that, no, God has got a time scale. He's got a clock. He created the world. It's, and the seventh day, you know, on the seventh day, there's a rest. 
There's a culmination. There's an ending. There's a conclusion. There's a completion. God doesn't just leave it all hanging in space while saying, well, that bit didn't work out, but never mind. We got the church over here and some of them will scrape in. No, he's got a kingdom plan for this world and it is going to be winding up the business to do with Israel and the Jews in the end times. And that is what we're entering into now. Why do the Arabs all fight in the Temple Mount? Why is this great big rumpus and why is the international terrorism and why are Christians being mid-headed in the Middle East the battle is getting fiercer and fiercer we're reaching the feast of trumpets the trumpets are blowing and saying hey look out I'm coming I'm coming back get yourselves ready the earth is being shaken so that we can get ourselves ready so we can be a bride prepared to for the king the coming king returning and that he can have us ready to meet him and we won't all be sleeping and just forgetting that he's coming back but we'll be wise and see the times and the seasons and we'll look and say look that is happening his coming must be very soon and this is I believe why the Lord wants to wake us up about our Jewish roots, our olive tree, not be proud against Jews, not be boastful, but humbly and lovingly be a light and a witness and share where, or or even to repair the wounds of the past and to repent of our sins as Christendom. And to humble ourselves and to let the Lord do a deep work in us so that we will be prepared and that we'll understand and that we'll be aligned and not drinking from the wrong roots, but drinking from the roots that are from the covenants that understand Jesus is a Jew and that he's coming back as a Jew and he's coming back as the king of the Jews He's on the throne of David. And sometimes there's a spirit of anti-Semitism. Maybe our parents were anti-Semitic. Maybe something in us goes, ah, I don't like that. Well, maybe it's something to work through with the Lord because we want to push forward and get into the new that God has got for us because it's rich and it's good because it's only um, by being supported by the, tr- the, the truth, reading the Bible and getting its full nourishment out of the Bible. So it's not just allegories and confusion, but understanding it literally. Then we can start to bear fruit and bring in a harvest, I believe. So that is um, sort of where I want to round up the teaching part, really, um, and just share with you Um, a little bit about where the Lord led me with the writing. So are are you sort of, you've come with me, haven't you? You've sort of understood what I'm saying. Good. Right. Um, Well, if you haven't understood, um, or if you've got some confusion, you know, I'll hang around for a little bit until Alan wants to, us all to go. So, um, So I believe that... The Lord is challenging us to realign, to be correctly aligned, to hear his voice, to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches, to get on fire 
where our love has grown cold by seeing him as he really is and growing in our relationship with the Lord. And so in 2005, um, I took a break. I just came home for like a week or two for Christmas from Jerusalem. So I came home for a week, had Christmas with my family um, uh, on Salisbury Plain. And then on Boxing Day, we said, oh, let's go for a day trip. Where should we go? And we didn't know where to go. So we got in the car and we said, oh, let's go this way. Let's go that way. Oh, let's go over there. And we drove and we had the dog in the back of the car. And then after about an hour and a half, we saw some woods and we thought, oh, let's get out here and have a walk. And those woods happened to be the edge of Wareham. And I think they were probably really close to here. <laughs> and we got the dog out of the car and um, started to walk along the track. And the Holy Spirit started to speak to me. And he, uh, I think I had the dog on the lead and I went on a bit ahead of the rest of the family. And I was listening to the Lord and he was telling me that he wanted me to write a book. And um, he sort of downloaded to me what it was to be like. It was like I just got this sense of a page a day, a devotional, but it's not going to be the lunar, solar, Gregorian dates. It's going to be the Jewish, Hebrew calendar, Bible dates. And so um, a devotional for every day of the biblical Hebrew calendar. And I went back to Jerusalem thinking, oh, gosh, It just sort of filtered through. So I started to use a library in Jerusalem to do a bit of research and realised really my main research just came from reading the Bible. So I had a concordance and I made these charts for all the Jewish month. Um, The first month of the year is in March, April. They change according to the days that we, you know, they're different dates each year. And so just looked at what the Bible says for each day of the year. And so this is the book that I wrote. It's called In Time with God. And it's designed to help you to align with your Jewish roots. And it's lots of teaching. Takes you into um, lots of the Bible. It's pure Bible, really. And it's to build up your relationship with Jesus. And it's got... So, like, if, if today, for example... I'm not sure what the date is today. To find out the date on the Jewish calendar, the Bible calendar, because it's different each year. I've done a little calendar. You can find it on the internet as well, and it's on my website. So you look up the, the today's date. So where are we? August. So it's Saturday the 18th of August today. So look on this little calendar. So today is the seventh day of the sixth month. Oh, 19th. I'm looking at, I'm looking at 2018. <laughs> okay, a bit ahead of myself there. Uh, let's go back. There you are, you see you've got a lot of months in here. Back to the 1st August. Okay, August 2017. Okay. Okay, so the 19th, Saturday 19th, so on here is today the 27th day of the fifth month, which is called Av. Okay, so 
So we're in the fifth month of the biblical calendar. So you flip through here to find the fifth day, which is called in the month of Av, and then you find the 27th day. Okay, so 27th today. Okay, so this one's called Gospel Prophecies for the Latter Days. War, pestilence, and famine. Oh, dear. So, <laughs> so but anyway, um, it could be a normal working day. You could be just doing your business, and you open up the day for the day, and you realize, oh, my goodness, this is one of God's appointed times. And then you think, oh, what happened on this appointed time in the Bible? And then you can see, oh yes, today is the day of the Feast of Trumpets or whatever. And then you can read what the Bible says about the Feast of Trumpets. So that, do you see what you're doing? You're being able to draw from the, your Jewish root when you're reading the Bible. So that's the idea of that. And then the technicalities, which I've not had time to explain. There's a whole lot more to say about the calendar. Well, the technicalities are explained in this booklet, which is published by Christian Friends of Israel. And this has got um, charts in it and explains to you how the calendar works. Um, this is a storybook, which is a parable about the feasts and about Israel. So um, it's a bit like Narnia. It's a bit like the Chronicles of Narnia. And then... Um, I've got some booklets that I've written. One, I've got five copies of this of each of them. There's the Book of Esther. So that's how um, the Book of Esther is um, about our times, how um, it addresses anti-Semitism. And then you've got... Oh, there's, this one is about Hanukkah, which is um, the feast that comes around Christmas time. And it's not one of the Moedim, the appointed times. Um, but it's got a lot in it um, from the book of Daniel, because Daniel talks about the rise of the Antichrist. So it's got about the rise of the Antichrist in that one. Then this one's the Feast of Tabernacles. It's sort of an amplification of what's in the book about the kingdom of God. Tabernacles is all about the kingdom of God. Uh, this one is one I wrote a few years back. I'm not sure how up-to-date it is now, but it's um, sort of about my perception of some of the things we're dealing with in the church today. And then this is an evangelistic one. Um, oh, the, the white sheep is sort of written on a child's level, but is really, um, you know, it's got a lot of... It's kind, kind of a bit teachy. And then it's got, um, it's got pictures in it. <laughs> okay, so that's my little bit of... It's not meaning to be a hard sell. It's just to show you what I've got available for you there, if you'd like it. Um, just if you'd like it. So, shall I pray for us? It's 11 o'clock. It's time to finish. <clears throat> Yeah, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you for this group who've been attentive and have listened carefully to what I'm saying. And we just pray, Lord, that you would carefully guard any truth that you've revealed to us this morning. And that, Lord, um, it would bear fruit in our lives, Lord, 
me included, Lord, um, that we would be ready for your return. Lord, that we would be watchful to see what you're doing in the earth today. Uh, That, Lord, we would get your heart. Give us your heart, Lord, for your people, uh, both the Jews and the Gentiles, the Arabs and the Jews. Your heart for the gospel, that we would understand. And, Lord, you say that to those who have, more will be given. And thank you for everything that we've all received from you this morning. But we ask you, Lord, for more, because you said that more will be given. So I ask for each one of us here, Lord, that you would increase our understanding in the coming days, that more would be given to us, Lord, that you would bless and keep each person here, keep them safe, give them great joy on their journey of discovery, Lord. We ask for your blessing and the covering of the blood of Jesus over each of our lives. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.